Before we get into Romans 8, I, I wanted to tell you a story. Uh, in 2004, I had some major surgeries done on both of my hips down at Duke University. Also happened to be the home of my favorite college basketball team. Go Blue Devils. Uh, I don't know if a pastor is supposed to cheer for the Blue Devils. I don't know how that works, but I do, so back off. Uh, the doctor, he hooked me up with some tickets. And so a year later, uh, my brother and I were actually able to achieve a lifelong dream that we were able to come back for my checkup, and that conveniently coincided with the basketball game at Duke. And so here are me and my brother and all of our painted chest glory. Uh, got to meet some of the players after the game. Uh, I shamelessly was plugging ESPN2 on my chest in hopes that we might get on TV. Didn't happen. Still bitter about it. Don't want to talk about it. Um, but we take this, we took this road trip. My brother and I, we, we rented a PT cruiser. And here we are flying down the North Carolina interstate to go to Durham to watch this game. Now on one leg of our trip, being the thrill seeker that I am, I let the gas gauge get all the way down to empty. I know, it was crazy. Uh, and, and you know, a lot of these little gauges, they, once they like hit the E, they can go quite a bit past the E. Apparently, PT cruisers, that doesn't happen. As soon as it gets to empty, no, they mean that. It, the tank is now empty. And so here we are on the North Carolina interstate, and my car runs out of gas. And so we are going up this hill, and I'm like, man, I hope, I saw at the top of this hill we're going up that there is this symbol for a gas station. I thought, if we could just make it up to the top of this hill, then maybe we can coast back down and get into the gas station, right? So here we are, tick, 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 it's like a roller coaster. We get to the crest of the hill, and we slowly start moving down. The car starts moving, it picks up steam. Luckily, the exit sign, or the exit itself, was also sloped down. We coast all the way off the road and get 10 feet away from the gas pump. It was incredible. I made my brother get out, push us the other 10 feet. <laughs> it's part of being an older brother, right? It's part of the perks, part of the perks. So he pushes us over to the gas tank. Now, now the, the moral of the story is not that it'll just all work out. The, the moral of the story is a lot of my family, they roll their eyes at me because I'm even Steven. Like if we're going to go somewhere and I'm coming, the sun shines. That's just kind of how it works. So I got lucky there, right? Just because I love Jesus more than them. So it works out. That's <laughs> the only reason. Otherwise, um, no. But we, here, here's my point. With, with, without, without gas in that car, that PT Cruiser is just a hunk of metal decaying, rotting, rusting. It's of no use, right, as a car if there's not gas in the tank. But when there is gas in the tank, when it's properly fueled and powered, it can take you where you want to go. It can bring me to this basketball game where I can cheer my painted chest off, right? So the point is, all that to say, in our lives as believers, these physical, mortal, decaying bodies that we are inhabiting, and without the power of God in them, they cannot do anything that God has asked us to do. They cannot be anything that God has asked us to be. But with his power in us, we can experience life, liberty, freedom, love, and joy that he's called us into. And this morning, what we're going to see and over the next several weeks, as Professor Paul is going to teach us about how God empowers, fuels our lives to live the kind of life that he's called us to live. This morning, we've finally at long last arrived at Romans chapter 8, and I'm so excited to be here. John Piper called this the greatest chapter in the Bible. Now, that's, a, that's a bold statement. Others have said this, the brightest jewel in the setting of the Bible, that this is the climax in the book of, of Romans and, and really the climax of our Christian life. And front and center stage in this chapter is the Holy Spirit. Nineteen times the Holy Spirit is referred to, and many uh, call this chapter, because of that, life in the Spirit. 
Uh, this is what it looks like for us to walk in the power of, of the Holy Spirit. And, and we have to pause there and remember that the Holy Spirit, like, doesn't he always seem kind of like the weird uncle in the Trinity? Right? Like, we get the Father and the Son, but what's up with the Holy Spirit? And I think sometimes, like the shack, the book, it's got some pros and it's got cons, but some of those times, it, it kind of displays the Holy Spirit as just some weird mystical force. That's just sort of this voodoo thing that kind of moves in and out of all of us. But the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit's a person. And not just a person, but he's the person of God, just as much as God the Father and God the Son. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we need to be thinking a person. A person that lives in, inside of each and every one of us. And, and so chapter 8 is going to talk to us about how we walk in relationship and in the power of the person of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of each of us. But just like that, that PT cruiser without the gas in its tank, us without the power of the Holy Spirit in and through us can do nothing. Nothing that pleases God. And what we're going to see in this chapter is it talks a lot about the security we have in Christ. And it's so incredible how Paul bookends this chapter and what we have in Christ. He starts by saying there's no condemnation. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And then the last verse is that in Christ, nothing can separate us from God's love. So in Christ, he says there's no condemnation on us. And he ends by saying there's nothing but love for us. That's security. And, and, and so he's going to show us how you and I can live victoriously. In fact, the chapter says not just that we're going to limp through the Christian life and make it to heaven. He says we're more than conquerors. That's what Romans 8 tells us. And in fact, in Christ, he has these things that he wants to tell us, Paul wants to tell us are true of us in Christ. He wants to tell you this morning, in chapter 8, that there's no condemnation for you. If you're in Christ, because Christ was condemned for me, for you. There's no defeat, ultimately, in the Christian life. Because, why? The powerful, victorious Spirit of God dwells in us. There's no death for you, ultimately, because Jesus died in our place. That for you, there's no fear, ultimately, because God's our Father. And He's for us. Who can be against us? There's no despair, ultimately, because we know that our sufferings, no matter how dark and, and difficult your sufferings are today, Paul says you can't even compare them with the glory that's to come. He says there's no catastrophe because ultimately we know that God uses all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called to him. We know there's no adversary that we have to fear. Why? Because he says if God's for us, who in the world is, can be against us? Who's going to stand up to God? He says there's no judgment for us ultimately because our judgment is bore, it's absorbed by Jesus on the cross. And ultimately he says there's no separation for us. Why? Because in Christ, God has said that nothing can separate us from his love. This is all in one chapter, right? That's why we're going to take five weeks. There's a lot there. So let's start into it. He says, he's going to show us this morning, look at verses 1 through 11, what we received in Christ and what we received in the Spirit. So first of all, what we received in Christ. Chapter 8, verse 1. He says, there is therefore now, now we pause there, because we always say, when we see therefore, we ask, what's the therefore? That was good. We're going to work on our call and response, all right? So what's the therefore? What's the therefore? therefore? Yeah, I'll tell you. Thanks, thanks, thanks for asking. Um, so, so when he says this, we always have to step back and look at the context. What, what is Paul talking about? Now we remember, what's the context of chapter 8, verse 1? We're talking about the growth of a believer. In ver chapters 1 through 5, we were talking about birth truth. How we were born again, freed from sin, set right in God's sight through Jesus. But now he moves forward in chapters 6 through 8, and he wants to talk about how we grow as believers. How we are made more and more like Christ. Remember, the ultimate goal is to be presented complete in Christ. And on, in chapter 7, what did he talk about? He was talking about the struggling believer. And you see, when, when Paul initially wrote the book of Romans, there were no chapter breaks. 
He was just writing a letter. And so here he comes at the tail end of chapter 7, and he's talking about the way that we struggle. We talked about this last week. He talked about this war within himself, that you've got the flesh and you've got the spirit, and they're at war with one another. And, and Paul was telling us that, man, there are things that I want to do as a believer that I know God wants me to do, things that I know that I should do, but I find time and time again that I don't do them, that I can't do the things that I know God wants me to do. And man, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that chapter 7's in the Bible. I'm so glad that Paul didn't just, he could have just said chapters 3 and 4 were accepted in Christ, chapter 5 we're now placed in Adam, chapter 6 we're dead to sin and alive to God, and then chapter 8, man, we live a victorious Christian life. And here we're going, wait a minute, like that's not my experience. I've lived a long time in in Romans chapter 7, and I've fallen down and I've failed to live victoriously over and, and over and over again. And as we try to grow, as we try to become like Jesus, we oftentimes feel the sting of defeat, don't we? And out of that, in, at the end of that statement, he says, who can save us from sin and death? Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. Here comes Romans 8, 1, like an oasis in the desert, like balm for the soul. And Paul, this is Romans 8, is Paul's response to the the, the defeated believer. He wants to tell us the secure promises that we have in Christ Jesus. So what what is this gas that he puts into our PT cruiser of a body? What is this power that he gives us to, to live the kind of life that he's called us to live when we're at our lowest point, when we feel like we can't budge another inch? These are his words to you, to me in that moment. What has he given us in Christ Jesus? No condemnation. Verse 1. There is therefore, in light of your struggles, in light of you falling down on your face again and again, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This word condemn, it means to blame or to prescribe punishment for, to pronounce unfit for use. This is what Satan This is what the accuser wants to do to you. When we fail, he gets down on your level and he whispers into your ear, you see? You see, God could never use you. God could never grow you. God doesn't love you. Like, look at what you just did. And all you deserve is God's punishment and his wrath and his alienation. You are unfit for his use. You, you You should just be punished for what you've done. But here's God's word to you this morning. If you're hearing Satan's lies, God's word says there is now, that word means today, in the moment, right now, there is no condemnation. And remember, the context is the believer trying to please God, but falling down on the ground. And here we are, covered in dirt, bumps and bruises, scrapes and scars, and God picks up your head and he says, look at me. He goes, look at me. I'm not done with you. This is not the finished product He says, I will never punish you. No matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times you fall, there's no, no, no condemnation for you if you're with my son. And we cling to this promise by faith, especially when our circumstances seem to do nothing but contradict this truth. And listen to me. If you or someone you know, we just talked about some of our elders, elderly uh, uh, brothers and sisters who are struggling. If you or somebody you know are suffering physically today, if, if you're a believer, 
God wants you to know this is not condemnation. Your physical ailment is not just simply him punishing you for sin in your life. If your marriage is failing, if your parenting feels like it's all over the map, if you're you're falling down into temptation, he wants to tell you this morning in Romans 8, I'm not punishing you. I'm not, I am not against you. If you made a list of the things in your life that cause you the most tension, the most pressure, the most anxiety, the most depression in your life, things that some days make it feel like it's not even worth getting out of bed for, and then you add on top of that this deep sense of guilt in front of your God and feeling like you're displeasing him, this paralyzing guilt that can lead you to depression and suicidal tendencies at times. It's you that God wants to shout to this morning. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those, for those who are in Christ Jesus. These are the most beautiful words that we can hear when we're in the pit of despair. But the most important clause there is for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is only true for those who have placed their faith in Christ, for the unbeliever, for, for those who are still separate from Jesus. They're still very much condemned. We will, we will, we will, every sin will be punished. We can take the punishment for it, or Jesus can take it for us. And for those who have not placed their faith in Jesus, who are not following him, they will pay for every single sin they've ever committed. But for those in Christ, not one of them. Not one of them. What have we received in Christ? No condemnation. Why have we received that? Why? Verse 2, he says, the new law has set us free from the old law. Now, we need to pay attention carefully to these words. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Does anybody want to be free this morning? Anybody want to be free from sin and from death in your life, from the bondage that you experience? Is you want to be free to live like God has called you to live? The good news that he has for you in verse 2 this morning is that the spirit of life has set you free. That word has is past tense. It's a done deal. There's no condemnation now. There's freedom now. Now what, though, has he said has set us free? And what have we been set free from? It's important to look at the specific wording in promises like these. Notice he says here, it's the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, what's he saying here? Now, this is not the same word that he used in Romans 7 when he was talking about the Mosaic law, the 613 commands in the Old Testament. The word here, law, it means an operating principle. It's the kind of things that you found that over time, they prove themselves to be true over and over again until you can say, that's a certainty. So the law of sin and death is saying those of us who were born in Adam, that's every human being sitting in this gym today, all of us born in Adam were born sinners. And the law of sin and death says as sinners we will sin and we will die because the wages of sin is... Oh man, we got... I don't know, Dan, I've been working on these guys. I'm doing my best. Our old pastor here is today judging me because you guys don't know scripture. That's cool. No, I'm kidding. Now the wage, yeah, I know, we don't, yeah, it's, all, it's all good, I love you guys. Uh, so the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And so the law that we find that works every time for a, 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 a human being is that you will sin and that you will die. That is a law, the law of sin and, and death. But what Paul says here is there is a new law that has set us free from the old law. And that's the law of the spirit of life. 
Now, this, this analogy helped me thinking about this. Remember Newton, he's sitting under the apple tree, and he discovers, allegedly, this is how he discovers this, the apple falls on his head, and there's this law that he calls gravity. And that law states, this law, this thing that's been proved over time, is that if I step off this stage, I'm not floating up toward our newly painted ceiling. I'm falling to the floor. Now, I've lost some weight these last couple years, right? But I'm still going to fall to the floor, right? It's the law of gravity. You cannot change the law of gravity. But another law, another principle, can overcome it, can set you free from it. It never ceases to blow my little non-scientific brain that I can step into this hunk of metal called the 747 that weighs over 300 metric tons and just kind of drift through the air like this is a thing. And I'm sticking my tongue out at gravity and I'm sipping on my free ginger ale, right? Always ask for the can. And I'm eating those little gingerbread snappy things. They get. I don't know what they are, but they're amazing. I love them. I always ask for more. Um, this is called the law of aerodynamics. Now listen, the law of aerodynamics doesn't erase the law of gravity. What does it do? It's another law that comes in and sets us free from the law of gravity. And the spirit of life doesn't erase the law of sin and death. Sin and death are still very real. But the law of the spirit of life sets us free from the law of sin and death. That the person of the Holy Spirit, if God himself is living inside of me, then what he tells me here is that I can find freedom from sin. I don't have to sin anymore. That I find freedom from death. That I don't ultimately have to be separated from God anymore. Why? Because the spirit of life in me has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, just like getting in the plane, it requires a step of faith, right? I know we've got some people in this room that are probably terrified of flying. And for some of us, it's a bigger step of faith than others. But we have to, by faith, step into the plane and trust that the law of aerodynamics will win out, right? The law of gravity isn't going to beat the airplane. Step of faith. We have to step into the airplane. And in the same way, the spirit of life will set us free, but we have to, by faith, step into Jesus. We have to believe that if we step into him, place our faith in him, that we will not receive condemnation, but that we will be free from sin and death and alive to our relationship with God. Now, how did this happen? We received no condemnation. Why? Because the new law set, uh, set us free from the old law. But, but what, how did this happen? Well, he shows us two things here. Uh, verse 3, Jesus' body was condemned for us. Jesus' body was condemned for us. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice he says likeness here. Jesus wasn't sinful, but he took a human body, just like you and I, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God's desire for you and for me, his will for us, is to do right and to be right. That he desires for us to have a, a, a right relationship with us. That's why he created Adam and Eve in, in the garden. That he desires us to worship him. He desires us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then as we look around at other people in this room, he's called us to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is, this is what he's called us in to do and, and to be. That's his heart for us. But what did we see in Romans 1 through 3? We saw that, that sin corrupted us and that we, as sinners, disobey his will. That we don't do what he asks. We don't do what he desires for us. And Romans 5 said that in Adam, born into that first Adam, that sinful nature, 
We are condemned. We are blamed, punished, and, fit, and considered unfit for his use because of our sin. But what God wants to show here in verse 3 is the good news is that when Jesus came to this earth in the likeness of sinful flesh, he was condemned in our place. That Jesus absorbed all of God's condemnation on us as sinners, and that if we believe that, that we receive none of that condemnation. That's how it works. But not only do we not get punished, but there's a positive end to this as well. Jesus' body was condemned for us, but then it says Jesus' spirit lives rightly in us. Verse 4, in order that, here's the goal. It wasn't just so that you wouldn't be punished, right? Like your goal of parenting isn't just to have your kids not be punished, right? The goal is to see them live right, to become mature, independent adults, and that's what he wants for us. He says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law, remember we have to be perfect if we're going to be in God's presence, might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit here's what happens in the positive sense not only did christ take our condemnation but he gives us his righteousness his perfect standing with god and not just positionally but also in behavior look at what it says that this 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 righteousness might be fulfilled in us and i'm so glad that's the preposition here it does not say fulfilled by us it says fulfilled in us This is what the Holy Spirit, his power, is doing in and through us. Kenneth West said it this way, the passive, the passive tense here, that God did it in us, it's not us doing it unto God in our own strength, the passive tense of the verb, fulfilled in us, is used to show that the work is not ours, but that of God by his grace. That God's grace is going to fulfill his righteousness in and through us. You see, what we saw in Romans 7 was that believers, even believers, even those in Christ, on their own, in their own strength, cannot please God. That if we try to follow these externals, if we try to modify our behavior only, that's not pleasing to him. The only thing that's pleasing to God is a right heart. And that right heart will change us from the inside out. Yes, our behavior will follow, but we're the problem, not what we do primarily. And so what he's showing us here is he's going to change our hearts, give us a new heart and a new spirit. See, the person of the Holy Spirit, he takes up residence inside of you, and this is what happens. He begins to produce the life of Jesus in and through us. See, this is not me pushing the PT cruiser up the hill, right? That would not have worked, right? Jeremy could do it for 10 feet. That's about it. He's not very strong. <laughs> so good when you have the mic and your family does it. I love you, Jerry. Uh, you, we, we can't, listen, we can, you can go 10 feet, you can go 20 feet, but we can't push that thing down the highway. How much more, man, we cannot in our own effort push our flesh along in a way that's going to please God and love him and others rightly. We can't do it. But the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself has been placed inside of us, giving us the power to fulfill in us what we could never fulfill for him. And with his gas in our tank, we can join the Muppets on a cruise ride, right? I don't know. So how do we do this? How do we live rightly? How do we walk according to the Spirit? Well, let's get that off the screen. Uh, Number two, what the Spirit, what we received in the Spirit. Now here it is, verse five. We get a couple things. We get a new mind and a new life. First of all, a new mind, verse five. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. He's gonna start to to work out here what it looks like to walk according to the Spirit. Because what in the world does that mean? Well, he says here that those who live or walk according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
those in the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I think Paul is talking about two categories here. He's talking about believers and unbelievers, the saved and the unsaved. And those who are believers walk after the Spirit, set their mind on the Spirit. Those who are not ultimately set their mind on things of the flesh, walk after the flesh. Now this word here, to mind, or set their minds on, the Greek word here, uh, phrone, it means disposition or a bent like, like the direction of your life that it's heading, to, to what, it's what you set your affections on. So this isn't just merely saying, like, I daydream about the flesh versus I daydream about the spirit. These are the things that kind of, yes, it matters what we're thinking about, but this goes deeper than that. It's where your heart desires are. It's the one that you obey. And remember in Romans 6, he said, we're either going to obey the flesh as master or we're going to obey the spirit as master. You can't have two masters. So what does this look like for us in our lives as we walk forward as believers and grow? What does it look like to walk or be bent, have affection set toward the spirit instead of the flesh? Well, I love the the cross-reference, Galatians 5. It just just unpacks this for us. This is what it looks like. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Like when you're bent toward the flesh, toward sin, this is what your life will look like. This is what the, the life of an unbeliever will be marked by. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and and other sins like these. And now, listen, he's not saying if any of us as believers commit one of these sins one time that clearly you're not saved anymore. What he's saying is if your life is bent in this direction, if these are the things that your heart is set on and you continue to go deeper and deeper in that direction, then your mind's set on the things of the flesh. You're walking after the flesh and these are the words he has to say. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's as if that's the overall arc of your life, then the spirit of God cannot be within you. That's a, that's a difficult thing to sit on. But, he says... The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And don't you love the way he says this? The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Again, it's fulfilled in us. This is the, it doesn't say the works that you're going to do for God in your own strength. It's that these are the, the fruit that are going to be produced in and through you by the Holy Spirit's powers. The fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Justin. He says, this is the fruit that's going to be produced. This is the way your life is going to bend the direction of your life. Love. Joy. Peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and and self-control. And he says, there is no law against these things. This isn't a law-based relationship with God anymore. This is fruit, fruit being produced in our lives, not works that we achieve for him, but fruit is being produced in us because of the new nature that lives inside of us. So in other words, one direction bends towards self, the other end bends toward Jesus and other people. He says, which way does your life arc? Now, verse 6, he says, and I note, notice this, he says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now, notice carefully there, he doesn't say the mind set on the flesh leads to death, the mind set on the spirit leads to life. He says the mind set on the spirit is life, and the mind set on the flesh is death, equal to death. Very interesting verse in 1 Timothy 5, 6. Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, but she who is self-indulgent, who arcs towards self, is dead even while she lives. 
that we can be walking around in these fleshly bodies, alive, blinking, heart beating, but if we have our minds and affections set on the flesh, it says you're dead to God, even though you're physically alive. See, death means separation from God, or, or from something. In the spiritual, separa- spiritual death, it's separation from God. So life means union with God. Death doesn't mean cease to exist. It's something being separated from something else. That's, that's the definition of death. And so ultimately, and he fleshes this out in verse 7, if you're in the flesh, this is, this is what your relationship with God looks like. But the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. Why? For it doesn't submit to God's will. In fact, it can't. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He says, if you're walking after the flesh, after the sinful nature in you, then, then you're, you're an enemy of God, that you're actively working against his will for you, against what he asks you to do in obedience that, that you cannot please God. You cannot have a, a relationship with God. Isaiah 59 says it this way, but your iniquities or your sins have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. As an unbeliever, we cannot, we are dead in our sin. We cannot have a relationship with God any more than a physical corpse can have a relationship with someone who is alive. So, I need a I need, um, quick illustration here. Uh, I need somebody toward the front row. Who, who's really good at acting? I need you to play dead for me. <laughs> who's? All right, all right. Who, Trey, can you play dead? All right, right in your seat. Just right here in your seat. Play dead. Just slump over. There he is. Oh, that's, man, that is a moving, he's got an Oscar right there. All right, now Trey is dead, right? He's going to pretend to be dead. Now, hey, Trey, how you doing? Hey, what's your name again? Hey, high five. Tickle, tickle, tickle. <laughs> and that was pretty good. Let's give it up for Trey. That was good. We got a, a, a budding thespian on our hands. Now, Trey, if, if he is dead, he can't talk to me. He can't interact with me. We can't have a relationship at all. And, and he says that in your sin, even though physically you're alive, spiritually we're dead, we can have no relationship with God. We can't talk to him. We can't listen to him. We can't obey him. We can't please him. Nothing. See, the problem is deeper as sinners than we just do a few bad things and we need to start doing a few things better in our lives. It's much deeper than that. He says you're dead, completely dead to God. You don't just need better behavior. You need a brand new life. But the beautiful news is, that's exactly what we received in the Spirit. We got a new mind, we also got a new life. He turns this glorious corner, and he says, You, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Speaking again to those in Christ, to believers, he says, You are no longer separated from God. God is no longer your enemy. You're not unable to produce fruit anymore. You're no longer a dead corpse. And just like God, you remember back in the garden when Adam was just there as a lifeless hunk of dust and God breathed his, and it says spirit or, or breath, the, the Hebrew word there, ruach, I love saying that word, it, he breathes his spirit or breath into Adam and gives life to his body. And now, instead of sitting there as a corpse, Adam can get up and move around and name animals and dance. And he says to you, in Christ, before you were in Christ, you were dead in your sins. But then Jesus was breathed. His life, his spirit was breathed into you. And you're no longer separated from God. You're no longer an enemy of God. We can get up and dance, right? We can do the floss thing, right? I've been working on it. I think I got it, right? I mean, I'm there. I'm there. These hips don't lie. Now I need some Advil. Yes, sin is still our roommate. We talked about that last week. 
But sin is no longer our boss, no longer our master. We have a new boss, a new master, a new Lord living, residing inside of us, and it is the Holy Spirit of Christ himself. The mindset on the Spirit is life. We used to be enemies of God. Now he calls us his children. We used to be at war with God. And now, not only do we have peace with God, we're fighting with him. We're engaged in the battle on God's side. He's our commander-in-chief. He's our Abba Father. As we'll see next week, we get to call him Daddy, reconnected in a relationship that nothing in heaven or hell can separate us from. And the proof of life that he gives us is in the next part of this verse. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And here's the conditional clause, if. This is true, if this is true. I love that he doesn't say here that you're not in the Spirit, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if you make it a church every single week. That the Spirit of God lives in you if you have full-time Christian vocational ministry. If you have the right reputation with other people. He says, you have the Spirit in you. That's the evidence that you're a believer. And as that spirit takes place in your heart, man, you're going to start to experience his fruit being produced in and through you. Can we be honest? This is kind of weird, isn't it? Like as Westerners who really just kind of base things on science, on what we can kind of touch and prove, the fact that we're saying that the spirit of God, I mean, think, say it out loud. The spirit of God is living inside of my body right now. Like I have no idea what that looks like or what that means, but it's insane, right? Like, this is what we're claiming to believe as believers. It's terrifying, and it's incredible. And for some of us, man, the Spirit's got some tiny homes, right? Some of you are small out there. Others of us, we've got some more elbow room for the Spirit to work with. But he's living inside of each of us. And what's this mean? What's this mean? That it means that if the Spirit's in you, you belong to God because the Spirit is God. It says we've been made one. You cannot get any closer to God than being one with him. And so what does this mean for us in our lives? It means that in Christ, walking in the Holy Spirit, we have a new path, we have a new direction, a new arc, a new bent, and it is not toward the destructive things of the flesh, but it is toward the Spirit-led, fruit-producing ways of God. You remember last week, we said that sin nature is still our, our roommate while we're still on this, this earth, in this mortal body. We'll talk about that in more in a few weeks, but ch- verses 10 and 11 here talk about our body is still unredeemed, still fallen, so that's why we can still go back and, and walk in the sin nature. So there's times where we're going to experience failure, and we got to hear that, So I don't want you walking out of here to go and say, the next time I'm envious or jealous or have a wild party, I'm not in the spirit. It's not what he's saying here. This messy journey will be full of bumps and bruises and scars, but if we are truly born again, if the Spirit of God lives in us, then our overall arc will bend toward Spirit-produced fruit. That's what our life will look like. So now that we've discovered that we've, our, we've got spiritual gas in the tank, right? Our tank's on full. Yes, I just said we have spiritual gas. Overlook that. Um, another lesson. We'll get some spiritual Pepto-Bismol up in this house. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk a little more practically of what it looks like to walk in the power of the Spirit, how he says to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit. Again, not us doing it, but he's going to do it. Kind of what does that mean? What does that look like for us to walk in the Spirit, not in our own strength? That's that's an ambiguous line. Hard Hard to know what that looks like. 
But for today, let's rejoice in the fact that if you placed your faith in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit of God himself indwells you. And the promise that he wants to make to you today is that what's going to be starting to, your life is going to look less like hate and selfishness and envy and jealousy. And I'm so tired of walking a a selfish life where I'm more concerned about how I look to other people than just simply being out there to lift the name of Jesus high and think about the needs of others. That's where freedom lives. It's better to give than receive. And with the Spirit in us, over time, this this is the direction he says, with this new nature, You're going to experience more tomorrow, more next year than you did last year and then a day ago. Love and joy. How amazing to experience more joy next year than we experienced this year. Experience more peace next year than we did this year. More patience next year than we did this year. Not that our circumstances are all hunky-dory, but with the Spirit in us, that's the kind of fruit that we get to enjoy and share with other people. Father, we thank you so much for the spirit of life that has set us free from the law of sin and death. God, thank you this morning that I can stand here before you and know, man, I look at, look at back how many times I messed up this last week. But to know that in Christ, you are not punishing me, you are not blaming me, not because those sins aren't real, but because Jesus absorbed them into his person on the cross. Lord, I pray if there's someone in here today that has not placed their faith in Jesus, that hasn't, hasn't switched that bent toward spirit, not toward flesh, that today would be the day that they would find the beautiful truths as their treasures. Jesus is their greatest treasure this morning. And Father, as we step forward as believers, and we experience the Romans 7 truths of falling down, of failing, of not doing the things that we want to do, and doing the things that we are so sick and tired of doing. May you teach us, may your spirit in us who points us to Jesus continue to point us to the cross and point us to the resurrection. That Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's alive. He's seated next to the right hand of the Father and he actually indwells Justin Blake Frankino today. And he dwells inside fully. We don't get a half scoop of the spirit inside of each and every one of us today. In Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's a spirit of life that's producing his fruit in us that we can be a people of love and joy and kindness and self-control. That this can happen. That we can go out and make disciples of all nations loving you and loving others. Not because we can pull it off on our own strength. Because we got a new nature. We got gas in the tank. May we learn what it means to rely on the Holy Spirit to do his work in and through us, that we would be a people that would step forward by faith, even when it looks like circumstances are dominating us, we're experiencing nothing but fear and failure, that you lift our head up and say there's no condemnation, and that the spirit, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law and sin and death. God, give us the grace to trust you more. It's in your son's risen, victorious, non-condemning, righteous name that we pray, we worship. Amen.